Welcome, Pudding People, to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. We are your hosts, Ken Seymour and Richard Geiger. It is a wonderful late night evening of recording a review, the yeah. third installment of of a thing. Yes, indeed. Late night's a good time to look at stars, and that's kind of what we're talking about. Stars in the sky and the people that fly amongst them. We're, of course, going to be talking about Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3. Came out a little ways ago. We had to do some some uh, scheduling <laughs> to get things to line up to do mm-hmm. the review right. I, so. Yeah, I know. I, I went right right when it came out. but It took me a little bit to go and watch it. But uh, if we look at one of the last reviews that we did, I think we talked about Mario Brothers. And I said, hey. We went on a Sunday, and it was the four of us, mm-hmm. and it was like 23 bucks. Well, yeah. you know what? We went again on a Sunday, and it was the same. So if you folks out there are not wanting to pay 40 bucks for movie tickets, a Sunday matinee, if you can swing it, is uh, one of the more affordable time frames to go. And at least here in the Midwest, uh, a lot of times those theaters aren't quite as crowded up until, you know, Two, three in the afternoon. So it's good timing. Definitely. So especially with all of the everything getting more expensive at the moment, it feels like with, you know, everybody's talking about inflation and all this other stuff. And you know how we like to talk about politics. Indeed. And uh, money, <laughs> too. <laughs> so we'll leave that there because that's not what we're here for. Um, but as always, we're going to dissect this in our own unique way or semi-unique way as we will come up with a, uh, a score that will resemble getting a test back when you were in school. It can be up to a hundred points, but it may not get that high. Uh, we will do a little spoiler free thing at the very beginning, just for those people that haven't had the chance to see the film and want to know whether we think this is something that you should see and how you should see it. So let's start there. Hey, Richard, is this a film that the average mom and dad and little ones, is that something they should see in the theater? Is this something we should wait for streaming? Uh, Or is this something that you should uh, wait for to be on a a television channel that will make you watch through many, many commercials in between? Mm, There's a lot of that. Um, Let's put it this way. If you've watched the first two, maybe you haven't watched all the MCU movies. Uh, but you've watched the first two, I would highly recommend going to watch this in the theater. Um, there's a there's a good bit of investment on, you know, previous character setups and, and other movies have influence on this too, of course. But I really think that this movie is a culmination of storytelling and it's a story really ultimately about family. It, that's, to, to me, that's what I saw out of it. I would say that's that's accurate. And anytime you have any film that's an action film, especially if it's based in space or has uh, a lot of sci-fi elements, it it will often do better in a larger environment like a live theater. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's going to be fun to watch on streaming if this is your kind of film to watch that you like. But it just has a much better feel in that large environment. So I, I too would say go see it in the theater uh even if you haven't seen the other films you can just watch the other two films before you go see it at the theater it it'll work just fine mm-hmm. uh yeah but big big scale lots of booms lots of flashing lights they actually had a uh, signs up about the flashing light warnings yeah that was pretty funny uh they they are concerned about our well-being and don't want anybody going into spasms because of some, there were a lot, a lot of colors, a lot of bright in this. Very much, very uh, much colorful. Yeah. So there you have it, folks. Go see it in the theaters. Uh, that's been a good episode. Oh, wait, I forgot. <laughs> see you next one. <laughs> we got the rest to do. Um, well, now we're going to uh, really just nitpick this thing to death and decide whether this is something that is, is really, really good or just good. Because I have a feeling that if you know us by now, unless the comic book movie is really bad, we're probably going to like it. Um, <laughs> so it's not not a surprise. Yeah, they're not all they're not all the most miraculous thing we've ever seen. But uh, 
Um, good cast, good director. So yeah, our scores should be good for this. I I think so. Well, let's start. Speaking of scores, with the score. Ooh. Uh, this is a big element in any uh, James Gunn style of film. He loves to have that soundtrack pop. And he wants you to recognize the music, assuming you are of a certain age. <laughs> now, I, I like how in the previous movies they kind of revolved around a certain time uh, time frame, certain era. And there was payoff from what was delivered before. Mm-hmm. Um, what's a Zune? And then the whole, really, one of the whole points of this movie, one of the things they touch on continuously... It's the zoom that they're listening to the music off of. Yeah, that's it's it's a lot of a lot of silliness, a lot of goods. If you are a fan of you know seventies, eighties, nineties, you know pop and and rock and that sort of a thing, this is this is going to be a soundtrack for you. The orchestral stuff where it needed to play up was great, and it, it had plenty of songs that you would recognize. I'll, anytime you can work in. Uh, a little bit of uh, Radiohead for me is a good thing. So, provided it is performed by Radiohead, <laughs> I've I've heard a variation of this song that was not very good in another film. And I'm the opposite. If you've worked in Radiohead to it, uh, then it's a lower score for me. So, well, you know, there's no accounting for the wrong taste. So. <laughs> Now, if there was war, I mean, a 10 out of 10 every time. Yeah, that would drop my score to a 1 in a heartbeat. Um, but, you know, a little bit of a little bit of Radiohead. You can't go wrong with heart. Um, earth, wind, and fire. I mean, you, faith no more. You were talking a little bit about, um, a little bit about watching uh, Super Mario Brothers, and they did No Sleep Till Brooklyn in their film as well mm-hmm. as this one. Uh their No Sleep Till Brooklyn had more of a link because, you know, they're in New York, but it was stupid and it didn't make any sense where they put it in the film. Mm-hmm. And this one had no link and worked better. Not great, <laughs> but better. It's the only one that yeah. just kind of was like, well, sort of, I guess. <laughs> it sort of works. Um, but, you know, it, it is what it is. All the rest of the songs I thought were, I thought were really good. Yeah, the... A, a lot of a lot of times when you have the score, you you don't necessarily get to focus on those in your face songs. There's a few of them, but this one has just a whole a whole bunch of them. In addition to like you said, the orchestral background no. stuff, and none of the other stuff was detracting, no. distracting. Um, I, I I thought the score was you know good as usual. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, I really enjoyed all of the songs uh, and enjoyed the score, and I thought it really enhanced everything and played where it needed to be. That's a nine out of ten for me. And because of Radiohead, I'm assuming it's going to be a little lower for you. Uh, yes, that's an eight out of ten. All right, so I, I, that's fair. Sometimes when you just when you're going to have that when you're watching, if it's not your band, it just kind of yanks you out immediately. Um, you know, let's say. Let's say they threw a, a random Soundgarden song in here. I mean, it was just elevated it through the roof. Yeah, even if it was even out of place, it would. It just gives you higher marks. Yeah, you don't get that very much though. I don't see a lot of people putting Chris Cornell or, I mean, for 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 Frick's sake, he did uh, James Bond theme. The dude was a genius. Put some of his music in some stuff. Jeez, oh Pete. Mm-hmm. Um, Must be expensive to get, maybe. Maybe, maybe, I don't know, but, uh, oh, well, but that, that's a good place to start. Let's go into, we were talking about it being a very bright film. Well, part of the thing that was bright is the, the costuming, a lot of color. I mean, we had some of the stuff that was, you know, carryover from the previous films. It's not like Star-Lord's outfit really changed all that much. No, maybe, uh, some tweaks here and there. Yeah. It, 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 it looked the same. But not a lot of their outfits, their 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 makeup, their the way they're put together looked the same, but not. You could say in one instance it looked more polished, and mm-hmm. you can say in another instance it looked maybe too polished. Yeah, it was, it was a little glossy. Yeah, um, and one of the areas that that really showed in was the the this version of Groot was a little little too glossy, but. I don't know if that's a design problem 
or if that's a CGI problem. I'm not really sure. Maybe a little bit of both. Um, High Evolutionary, I thought he was going to be rough. I mean, if you're going to bring that to the big screen, his his outfit in the comics it makes no sense. I mean, it's it is it's fun. I love it, but it just would not. There's no way to translate that right into a live action. So I was kind of curious where they were going to go with that. Yeah, all all metal with like little bolts and stuff all around. Right, that would be hard to do. And the the the, the metal. Uh, another person with a metal. Um, um, what you call like it? A, uh, ap- not about said afro. No. Mo- Mohawk. Mohawk. Yeah. yeah. So it's got that little thing that this there. It's just kind of. Um, I think they did good. I mean, in, in the sense that I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't amazing, but I don't think it needed to be. I just think it needed to be. Uh, passable is the wrong word. It needed to not get it in its own way, and it didn't. So if you look at, let's just say the, one of the highlights of the movie is the hallway action sequence, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of cinematography, but you have all the characters, you have the designs for the creatures, you have their guns. So you're, you're, you're seeing a lot of costuming and prop oh, yeah. all kind of squished together into one area. Um, if, you, if you look at them on Nowhere... And nowhere's got. Uh, I know that's a location, but there are still a lot of small-time, little, intricate props. A sign, um, yeah, bits a, a, and pieces. A w- whether it was uh, a weapon that they had to have, or you know, Nebula's little suit that she had, or her new arm, right? So all of those things I, th- I thought fit well. Oh yeah, and looked really, really good. Not excellent, not great, right? But they looked. They, they looked good for what they were. Um, they could have really messed up um, Warlock because he could also come off of it as extraordinarily goofy looking in transition, but he looked good. I mean, he looked he looked like you could take him seriously if you needed to take him seriously, which is the thing I was concerned that I would see him. was like, yeah, that just looks goofy but he didn't look goofy he acted goofy Mm -hmm. which is actually good but he looked like he could you know he looked like a bit of a tank it's like all right i can i can i can dig that it worked pretty well um yeah if you if you look at will poulter in real life right now he is swole he is ripped and it's almost like his suit they had to do some embellishments to make him look bigger but then they figured that it was too late and he was already huge, so he looked like stuffy in the suit. A little bit. Not not bad. I just felt like it looked stiff. Stiff. Yep. Yeah. A little stiff, but you know, not much you can do about it. Just like the the pulling of the skin over the face with the high evolutionary. It was a little little bit a little bit off, but not not terribly, terribly so. Um, I liked the designs for Lila Teefs and Floor. That that was good character design for that. Um, um I mean, there were a lot of costumes, even just, you know, the the starburst colored spacesuits that they had at the beginning when they're uh, going into the organic space station. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's really, really bright and could look really dumb and did. But it was good that it looked dumb. Yeah, yeah, like dumb on purpose. Right. So it just kind of worked really well. Um, I didn't really like the design of the uh, defenders of that space station very much. I thought it looked kind of bland in, in design. looked looked like uh, um, a Power Rangers villain outfit. Yeah, like what ex- what exactly was the direction you were going with them? Yeah. And it it was a bit off. You know, when you've got when you've got the the people who you're putting into those suits who are like, you know, some of the coolest iconic actors and you've buried them in, in like a weird poofies, I don't know. Right? That's just I don't know. And it's just it, it was it was a little weird, but then they again he kind of made up for it when they go to counter earth and all the costuming for all of them. <laughs> it was 100% perfect. Yeah, so a, a lot of the other movie elements could have dropped the score down a, a bit. Um and some more than others, but then that just made up for it, right? That that was the good balance you, you had right there because there's 
there was I read somewhere that there was so many like pieces of costuming and props and prosthetics that they had to use throughout the movie that it was like the most of that type of usage in any movie because of all those people they had to put you know bat noses on and right various animal prosthetics and they looked they looked great I mm-hmm. mean just his assistants uh, the evolutionary's assistants looked great the, the amalgamated entities all designed looked great I mean just so I mean even though there were a couple of small missteps here and there just all in all just really really nice yes thank you for doing practical when you could oh yeah that's always better for me that's nine out of ten easy um did I I gave the nine as well I I just there's so much going on in this movie um we we can nitpick all we want they did a good job yeah definitely um Locations, since you talked a little bit about nowhere anyway, we'll just go straight into that. There were not as many locations, but the locations that were there were intense. <laughs> I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah. The, the, what, what, what was the earth place called? Um, alternate earth, not alternate earth. Um, counter earth. Counter earth. Mm-hmm. Yes. So. It's, it's a little bit of the prop stuff. Like when you're in the house and you see the picture frames Everything just looked in place. Oh, yeah. Right? Uh, the era that they had presented to you on this counter-Earth, it made sense, mm-hmm. right? So all the houses, the subdivisions, the cars, once again, those are props, but we're looking at the location as a whole. Um, solid. Very believable. Oh, yeah. And the um, evolutionary's tower was very daunting and... And looked the way that it needed to. When when you were amongst the the prisoners in the cages, it was confining feeling and and narrow and just kind of ominous. And they they did great details on on that bit. Um, I mean, just I mean, this is a weird detail to think about, but you know the sequence where Rocket escapes and he's picking stuff up from the floor. Everybody's focusing either on Rocket or the stuff he's picking up and what he's making. But did you look at the floor? I mean, it's there is so much detail of just random crap on that floor. Yeah, all the let's call it packing material, right? right? It, it's all the all the little sleeping material and all the the organic material, and just it's a pile of everything in there. Yeah, and it, and it, it seems like it's for something that's basically intended to be window dressing around what it is that. The, the viewer is supposed to be focusing on to put that level of detail into it just makes me very happy. Um, the, uh, you know, the earth locations they did were not important and not impressive. Didn't need to be. Didn't, no, no, you, you weren't focusing on that. No. Um, what, what else was there? The, the bio, the biodome. Some of it was neat. Even the stuff I didn't like again, had a stupid amount of detail to it so you know it's more of a taste thing yeah how are you going to envision a space station that's made out of organic matter rather than inorganic matter that's different yeah squishy and uh red pink yeah brown with the rings around it and you you but you're right you got you got an exterior view but you did you really get a prolonged presentation no but did you really need one no the space shots looked gorgeous although i will say space fireworks come on man come on i mean i get it i get it but maybe that atmosphere that they were in extended out far enough to do that no (laughs) no it did not um but you know if you're going to do something like that there are enough educated people out there. Throw in a single line. We are the kings of talking about the single line of dialogue that can explain away something like that. Oh, we've designed these special fireworks for the celebration that can do X, Y, and Z. Done! Done! And now I can, my brain can ignore the fact that what I'm looking at does not make sense. Well, I mean... There's a lot of science in this movie that is 100% legitimate. So, um, <laughs> But I can already suspend my disbelief. I've had several movies to work on suspending my disbelief on some of this stuff. 
So, or reading comics for decades. Okay, I've got that. But it's some of these other just just stubbing points for me, and it's it's small, but it's but that's what we're talking about—a little nitpicky bits. Mm-hmm. Um, so locations were still good. I gave it an eight. I do believe I did eight as well. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So solid start. Solid start. But now that we've got the environment, we've got what people are wearing, we've got what we're listening to, we need to talk about the people. Let's start with the director, James Gunn. Hmm. So, what what he's what has he done recently that we don't like? Nothing. Hmm. I have liked, well, well, that's not really recent. Movie 43 was an absolute piece of dog turd um but that was 2013 yeah <laughs> so i mean eh, uh, eh. so as far as director he's done the he's done the uh guardian stuff right well there's mm-hmm. there's writing stuff i did not ask you to go back to writing i wanted you to go to directing um peacemaker obviously great suicide squad was great so yeah Movie 43 was the last thing that he made that I didn't like. But yeah. Super, before that, was good. That was fun. Yep. Slither was just nasty, which is what it was supposed to be. Correct. <laughs> it's just kind of... Uh, so, yeah, I mean, he's got the right... He's got the right vision. He's got the right vision, and he's got the right kind of feel for things so much that now he gets to control DC for 10 years. And maybe we'll get a good DC movie finally. <laughs> maybe. Uh, I mean, the Flash movie is not his project. No. So if it's good, you can say, hey, he did good work. And if it's bad, you can say, well, he had nothing to do with it. Right. So No, I, I joke. I joke. There were there have been some good DC films. It's just not been consistent. Hopefully he will be able to bring a little bit of that consistency. Yep. Uh, but, yeah, so we know what he's capable of. We've seen what he can do. Going into this, I had high expectations, which is always a potential problem. Trouble, yes. Um, but he didn't. He didn't let me down. He's one of the few directors that that's generally the case. I go in, I expect this to be quality. He goes, "Okay, here you go," and it was. He knows these people. They respect him. He puts them in situations where they can showcase their skills whether you're talking about the actors whether you're talking about the other people behind the screen they all seem to when they work with him give their best and i think he understands besides storytelling um i think he understands what's what i said before for this movie which was hey this is this is a movie about family. I feel like he understands relationships well, and I think he understands the off-camera relationships yeah. as well because he he's developed this Guardians, quote, family uh, as a cohesive unit on and off the screen. I mean, the vast majority of his, his choices I, I have to agree with. Um, to me, that's out of 15 points, that's, uh, well, he's not the perfect director. He is pretty fantastic. That's a 13 out of 15 for me. Did I do 13? I think I did 13 as well. I, I, I'm I'm looking forward to what he'll do for a, a Superman movie coming up. That could be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm hoping. I'm hoping. Um, but like we said, the people that he works with, they give him a lot because he, he lets them he lets them shine. So let's talk about those people. Let's talk about those actors. They yes, let's talk about them, Ken. We 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 uh, they don't get enough uh, attention, or uh, <laughs> they're not they're not seeking adoration or fame or anything like that. No, not a bit. <laughs> oh man, but I, I have to say, um, the addition of Chakudi Uji. Um, I hope I did that right. I'm pretty sure I was close. Um, I think you were close. Yes. Um, as a choice for the high evolutionary, my initial thought was, um, I don't know. I don't know if he can do this. 
Um, and then I watched this film and I saw what they wanted him to be. It's like, oh, for what they want him to be, yeah, he can do that. And that mm-hmm. was a good choice. Yep. And we were talking about this, I feel like maybe a couple days ago, that this character isn't in on page. Uh, over the years and years, because this character, um, old, very old, an old nemesis, sixty 60s. years ago, um, yeah, so a long time ago. Uh, but that's the character that you saw on screen is not the representation of the character that you would see on the page. Uh, but the character that we were presented with, as intended, that worked out well. Right, and if you aren't familiar with who this dude is, he's been in a bunch of stuff. He's Currently in a television show called The Split as a recurring character, he had a large arc on that Peacemaker. So he's already had this relationship uh, uh, to begin with, but he's been in just a ton of stuff. I mean, he's in John Wick, second one of those. I mean, he did great in that. Um, And when it comes to intensity, he can bring intensity. Oh, yeah. Now, the funny thing is, I would like for him to have acted more like his character from Peacemaker. That would have been closer to what the high evolutionary actually acted like. Yeah, very non non emotional, factual. Right. Yeah, we but, did not get that. We got a lot of um, we got a lot of emotion. We got yes. a lot of anger. Um, and he he was good at yelling. Yes, and presenting the point. He is in a very good yelling place, but ultimately, this film came down to Bradley Cooper in terms of performances. He's he's got to carry it, even though he's technically kind of out of it for a good chunk of the film. Uh, the flashbacks, the voice acting that he has to put in, you got to believe it. Yeah, that going into this movie with so many different characters that are available. And the storylines that you've presented with uh, in a couple other movies that, that the main character is actually Rocket in this and will continue to be Rocket, you know, afterwards as well. Um, I, I think that speaks to itself that you have all these faces and we talked about the color of the props and all this and the animated one is the star of the show. Yeah, I, it's actually kind of funny. If you're a comic book fan, this isn't terribly surprising if you know the characters. I mean, even though, yes, Peter Quill is often put in a leadership position in the comics ultimately the fans respond to rocket so having him be in that leadership role they eventually did it in the comics and it got good responses because he's just a fun character um and i i think the the casting was great and his his voice acting is great just so long as he uh uh just so long as he's able to maintain that emotion and doesn't uh try to out sam elliott sam elliott <laughs> <laughs> like in a star is born. A star is born. <laughs> now I gotta tell you something. That <laughs> that was so much fun to watch. <laughs> well, I mean, that was his. Uh, that was his brother, right? Yeah. Movie. So yeah. I mean, they, I mean, naturally would have some similarity. Yeah. But but when you're looking at them standing side by side, it's like, no, you're not brothers. <laughs> there is no genetic material shared here. But you sound very similar. Okay. <laughs> um, Palm was awesome. As Mantis, she had some great lines here and there. Uh, Dave actually got some good emotional stuff. Yeah, so he's always kind of been, well, that character and the Mantis character in these movies have always been kind of the, everybody gets laughs, but they were kind of the, more of the jokey joke type characters in the first couple movies. So we still got that in this movie. And they had their own type of special relationship, right? right. That they and how they interacted. Uh, but yeah, he he got a little um, a little bit more validity in in him being, you know, not just a grumpy Gus. Yeah, and uh, you know, all the returning cast are great. Maria Bakalova as Cosmo, I really liked her. I, I couldn't help it uh, seeing some people react like, "Why is Cosmo a girl? Why are you worried about a dog, you moron?" <laughs> Wasn't the first one of the first dogs in space uh, a female dog anyway? So eh, like, probably that's what I seem to remember. But I mean, who cares? It's it's a dog to to pay attention to that. And she did such a fun job with this because it, it's such a good dog. Cosmo's a good dog. Uh. Yeah, that whole bit was pretty funny. I thought, uh, but that character is 
actually had a, a, a substantial role in yeah. this film. Yeah, had a great, great bit. Uh, Will Poulter, um, I was really concerned about uh, because Warlock is one of my favorite characters. And just seeing how they were bringing him into the MCU, I was, like I said, I was concerned. <laughs> just like, oh, man, this is the one where you're going to mess up. This is, nah, nah. I mean, they they made him relatable in a way that I didn't expect. I mean, it, uh, leave it to the writers, leave it to, to Gunn, leave it to, to Poulter. Just being able, yeah, he's not on the good guy side, but. He he doesn't know what's going on, and he did a great job of showing he's just learning exactly where everything is, and he doesn't have a lot to work with. <laughs> well, it, at least his character. So the the origins of his uh, I don't know his his mother and the, their race, which is you know effectively gone now. Yeah, um, were explained briefly. They they were born to be perfect yet dumb, right? And they explained his character when you talk about, hey, you just need one line. They they explained what was going on with him with one line. It's like he's a baby. Yeah. Okay, that's all the expl- that's all the explanation that you need. All his actions and interactions make complete sense. Yeah, it, it, they did great. The choosing uh, Linda Cardellini to do um, the voice. Um, of the um, the little otter, the otter with no arms. Yeah, mechanical arms. Um, that was great. She she did she did great with what she had to work with. Um, we've got uh, Asim Chaudhry, 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 Asim Chaudhry as Teefs. He did great. The, the you know seeing those faces and the voices like okay I can see that. The one that threw me off though was Michaela Hoover doing floor oh yeah yeah it's like she does not look like her voice in this uh, <laughs> what's the conversation it's like okay we know you're gorgeous we want you to be a rabbit with a trap for a mouth <laughs> well they could they could change you know her voice right i know but it's just it's so different it's like okay i love that just for the fact that it's that judy greer was the uh, pig monster. Yes. It, I missed that. I completely missed it. How did I miss that when I watched it the first time? Like I, I, I didn't I didn't know that in terms of I, I tend to sneak a peek at the cast beforehand and then watch it and then take a peek at the cast afterwards. And I knew she was in it, but I totally spaced it out. The the, the whole I totally spaced it out. I always liked her, and she's always good in everything. I just can't. I like to go in blind, and I just I just missed it. Um, of course, Sylvester Stallone reprised all the extras from the Ravagers come back, including Michael Rosenbaum. Indeed. <laughs> With yes. no vocal role, to my knowledge. He's just kind of covered by CGI. <laughs> yes, and, and happy to be there. <laughs> Oh, if you haven't um, if you haven't listened to his podcast, by the way, it's called Inside of You. It's really good. Um, I know maybe it's not a normal thing for one podcast to talk about another, especially since he has absolutely no clue who we are. Even though I've met him and he's a he's a fabulous gentleman, uh, he he gets some really fun conversations with some great guests. But uh, in a way, I, that's kind of what I, I I like to think we aspire to a little bit with mm-hmm. our podcast. Yes. Um, but. Seth Green coming back for, you know, a split second as Howard the Duck, which we need a Howard the Duck show or movie. Um, Seth Green is perfect voice for that. It's just great. Um, yeah, I appreciate the poker scene. He was in there one other little space too, but um, a snippet is fine, but more would be better. Yes. Um, but, of course, you were hinting, talking about uh, Nathan Fillion earlier, and – I mean, obviously, James Gunn really likes Nathan Fillion Mm because he'll put him in anything, even if it's a small and silly part. And that's this was not a small part. This is actually a fairly sizable part. Yeah, bigger, bigger than his uh, other ones. Still silly. (laughs) And I I loved it. I mean, I like his I still like his arm arm fall off guy role, which is just hilarious to me. Oh, I, I will say 
there is a new DC animated film that is out, and that character is actually in that DC animated film, and it's pretty solid. Yeah. <laughs> it's a funny character, though. Oh, but yeah, I mean, everybody just did great. Vin Diesel did great with, you know, his, his Groot lines, Nebula, Karen uh, Gillen. Oh, Karen Gillen, I, she is... She had a lot more, lot more going on in this movie too. Yeah, near and dear to my heart that one. I, I love her. Um, but yeah, Sean Gunn had a little more time on screen, got a little chance to flex a little bit, some acting muscles. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, if it seems like we've gone on a little bit longer with this section, it's just because there are that many good actors. There's so many, and honestly, we haven't even talked about Chris Pratt. No, and. He had a lot of uh, a lot of fire. I felt I felt like in this yeah. one, right? So there was a lot of things going on. I think for everyone's character, yeah, uh, but especially for his character in this, you know, from the situations, him being into being serious but funny, right? Him being sad, him being a you know a pouty pouty little baby boy. I guess you could say. Um, but kind of coming full circle uh, at the end, and even the end credits are like, Peter Quill will return. But we got to see Greg Hendry come in as Grandpa Quill. It's like, come on! It's like they 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 just get everybody. It's like, you want me to do what? Okay, sure. Yeah, <laughs> and and the fact that you got him for the first movie was great. But yeah, then he's like, yeah, I'll come back for the second one. How long? Third one, I mean. How much of the movie am I going to be in? Post credits? Okay. That's fine. <laughs> it's just whatever, because he knows it's, he knows it's good. It's gold. So, all that being said, the massive overload of people that we got that were all great, and everything else, um, you know, it's it's not perfect. Obviously, there there are things, but I'm not going to go into really any nitpickiness for me. Um, it's it's not a perfect, but it's near perfect. So that that to me is a 17 out of 20. Um, I want to point out one more character. I was just looking at her um, earlier today. It's the it's the actress that's also in Peacemaker, and she's been in like all of those more recent things that revolve around DC. You talking about the one that played uh, Ratcatcher in in um no the uh, agent. Oh right, right, right. Um. I'm spacing, I'm spacing the name here. I just looked at her name earlier. There's so many. See, this is the thing. There's so many people in this movie. It's hard to keep track of all the people who put faces on the screen, to be honest with you. Oh, look at uh, Peacemaker. Um, but I, she was in Peacemaker. She was in before that. She was in the Suicide Squad before that as one of the, quote, handlers mm-hmm. right and she got a little bit of screen time then she got a lot of bit of screen time in peacemaker uh showed up in black adam and she was in this as a completely different character of course dc marvel talking uh, about jennifer holland jennifer holland oh well, of course she's going to be in it she's got connections yep she, she's in a lot of so it's nice to see familiar faces like that across all the james gunn properties. so we're gonna see a lot more of her now i think i need to rephrase that because that might come across wrong when i say she's got connections people may read well she's married to the director no i just mean she's she's got connections to all the source of material she's supposed to be there Yes, so I appreciated uh, once again seeing her. So I think I did an 18 for the cast. Yeah, I think that's uh, pretty fair. I, I nearly went that far myself. Uh, uh, it, it was a hard choice. It, it was it was definitely a strong suit for the movie. Yeah. All right, we're almost done. We've only got two more to get through. We got cinematography and we got plot and writing. So let's do the easier one. Let's do cinematography because um, we always like to end with plot and writing. Mm-hmm. Cinematography, there were no shaky cam moments. Love that. Yeah, always good. I, I like to start there because I how much I hate shaky cam. Um, but there were some really interesting shots, uh, transitions specifically in this film. I really like how they went from scene to scene. That was, that was really nice. Yeah, build in some um, different feels, some different music uh, coinciding with that as well. And 
I think we mentioned before, I, I, I was talking about the little hallway battle sequence. And mm-hmm. That's all cinematography in that. Oh, yeah. And there, there was little battles like that in the past that they have done. But this one was a little bit more eh, special, I guess you can say, because it was kind of like the last all-in type of presentation. And I think that one kind of shows you... In a certain sense, we talked about this being a family movie and the couple locations, but the big areas and space and all this. I think that one shows you right there that they can do the action sequences very well. They can make them be present, presentable, whether they're absurd or not. Um, So we know he's good at doing those types of things. Well, I mean, especially with a location like Nowhere that they create, there's a lot of clutter. There, there's there's a lot of things that you can just trip over and they don't. the 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 transition from from um, moment to moment is good when um, when Rocket gets thrown, you know, a distance. The tracking on that, it's a, again a weird thing to look at, but the tracking on that was just really really smooth. Um, the the fight, the little bit between uh, Warlock and Nebula, that was that was a nice bit of uh, choreography. Uh, the CGI was really pretty good. The only the only thing I didn't like about the CGI the um, Chris Pratt freezing in space that was a little weak. Yeah, and that's its own plot point as well, which we'll discuss that a little bit later. But his, him getting his puffy face, which I, I suppose that would happen. Um, but you're right; it, it didn't. It looked off. It's just, yeah, it just looked a little off somehow compared to everything else. Um, the um, I'm trying to remember what's the director of Jojo Rabbit, Taika. Taika, right? There were some Taika moments, like when they were on uh, Counter Earth and they first get exposed to everybody in the dodgeball bit. Mm-hmm. That was very Taika. Um, there were some nice. I don't know if that was an intentional reference, but. Uh, it just it seems there were nice uh, uh, bits and pieces, nods to other styles. Um, I didn't feel like I was confused following the action. Everything was pretty clear. I mean, it was it was solid. And all these, although these people have their own bits of training, it's not like they had to do the the old quick cut. Right? No, no. Um, enough spacing to make it look very uh, organic, but not ridiculous right and yeah then, and ridiculous in a good way in a bad way yeah so i mean all in all if there weren't too many things that i could just look at and go man that's that's dumb like fireworks in space um just a few <laughs> just a few but uh for the most part it was it was pretty solid and i don't feel the need to really stay on cinematography too much it was just really solid that that to me that's a 12 out of 15 Yep, CGI was uh, decent, colors were nice, um, camera cuts were clean, so you can't really ask for too much more, right? No. Uh, what did I do for this one? 12? 11. Mm. What was I thinking? <laughs> I was thinking I wanted to control the narrative of my score, and that's what it is. Sorry. <laughs> you know, it It happens. I'm not saying that what we do isn't uh, scientific, but it's not. So, um, all right, finally, we go into plot and writing. This is a biggie. This is worth 20 points because, you know, this is where everything lies. Mm-hmm. And the key to this is all about this. This film is all about character development, character growth. And that's a weird thing to say on an action space sci-fi <laughs> film but that's if this film was going to work it had to have that and it did yeah so it was it wasn't just about rocket and that bit of character growth because that made sense that's what was put in your face uh that's what the MacGuffin uh, revolved around but it was it was the sense of urgency that was needed to to rescue their friend. I mean, that was repeated over and over. But then you, you, I think you got a little bit of, like I said before, of that interaction with certain characters. 
the the Peter Quill character, you know, ups and downs in terms of emotions, and then come to a realization of what it's actually going to, what his life is going to be like, what he wants it to be like. Um, you know, Gamora seeing what a family could actually kind of be like, and knowing that that family is actually the Ravagers in this sense. So there was tons of growth from everybody in it. Yeah, they they everybody got a turn that was really appreciated, and the way like the way they parted ways at the end felt organic, not forced, which is which is excellent. Um, the character deaths that you knew were coming because there was no way that they weren't coming when they're developing these other animals because you know they're gonna die. That it has to happen. That's the emotional. That's the emotional trauma. Oh yeah. So as soon as you see it, anybody with any any awareness that's not completely absorbed in the plot that has any training knows they're going to die. So okay, if they're going to die, how are they going to do this? Make how are they going to make me care about the characters in the short time that they've got? And how are they going to kill the characters in a way that will not only move the plot forward but not make me groan and roll my eyes? It was brutal, man. It was it was it was rip your heart out of your chest stuff, and it mm-hmm. was done well. Yep, uh, definitely. Of uh, there, there's a couple things. There there's always sad moments here and there, and in Endgame, for example, we got the ultimate of the sad moments uh, at the end. But there were some really like wrenching moments in this movie that it gave you some of those nice ups downs like it, it was the emotional roller coaster if you will for this movie i love the the way that they had um star lord not being able to get over that that love i like the way they had nebula trying to be trying to be a friend without a frame of reference on what that means and trying to to figure it out and and being appreciative, but also trying to do the right thing. That was, with with the amount of um, uh, range that that the Nebula character doesn't have in facial expressions and things like that. It's all about writing at that point and vocal tones, and that was just excellent. Um, the the bit at the end with uh, Groot saying "I love you guys" was just was just excellent, and and I, I love that. Any, I mean, you're not really seeing a lot of fourth wall breaks. That's not really something that that he does as a director, uh, or they do in the series as, as writing goes by. But having that nod, that fourth wall break, without it being a fourth wall break, is just it was just beautiful. And it, it took me a bit to figure that out, but it, it was it was touched on just before that, where when all you hear is "I am Groot." you don't understand what he's saying, but the longer you're with him, the more invested you are, the more of a family that you are, you start to understand what he says. And you saw that with Gamora just a bit. Right. And then when he said it, that meant that we, the fourth wall, the audience, were invested in his in his character, in his well-being, and we knew what he was saying. But the thing is, the other people around him didn't know what he was saying. That's not that like not the main characters. Right. All the surrounding people. They didn't know that he they just heard I am Groot. But we heard yeah. I love you guys. So that's it was just it, it was, was a nice moment. Nice. Yeah. Um the dialogue was snappy. I really love the dialogue they gave Nathan Fillion. He was I got one of those guys too, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that whole bit was just fun. Um a little weaker on high evolutionary. Uh, this is what I was kind of talking about earlier, just because, you know, I'm going to be biased having had my experience with the character in comics and knowing how he actually is. And so, you know, there's, there's no way I'm not probably going to be disappointed when it gets converted, but this is a drastically different personality. And I feel a lot of times when they make these changes, they're important changes because, it either wouldn't translate well or they've already changed these other things so they need to alter it slightly in some way. Nobody knows this character. They could have brought it in in any way they wanted to and they could have 
they could have kept him as just absolutely disturbing in the sense that he is detached and does not understand. Yeah, so in these in these movies, in these TV shows, a lot of times, unfortunately, what, what ends up happening is these characters that are really cool, like crucial, long-running characters, sometimes get relegated in a certain sense. And in this high evolutionary character, I hope we'll get to see him again, right? Mm-hmm. But um, what we got for this character, as the character was, was fine. But you called him high evolutionary because it fit a... You pulled it from the pages, you had the name, you kind of made it work with what you wanted it to work like. But you could have named this person, you know, Jim Smith, and nobody would have known any different, right? I mean, yeah, the high evolutionary is an important part of the warlock story in the comic books, but you're not presenting that story. It's Mm -hmm. completely different, so who cares? Um, Oh, although I did like the little nod in space when Warlock um, rescues uh, Star-Lord, that little... Uh, nod to the Sistine Chapel. Yes. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's Space Jesus. He was always Space Jesus in the comics. So that part, very funny. But, um, yeah, it's just kind of, it, it was all right. The The after credit scenes were nice. Uh, uh, the first after credit scene, Rocket lead his team and and seeing how they operate. And already you can see the growth of the Warlock character. Uh, and the presence of somehow Phylavel, that doesn't quite track, but okay, sure. Uh, <laughs> you can't have Phylavel without without uh, Quasar, and nobody has said anything about Quasar in any of the TV or films yet. Um, it's just, you know, neither here nor there, but still fun. Well, um, we were discussing this before, and two observations from that, so the Adam Warlock character, really, everybody else could sit back, he could go swing punches, and they'd be done yeah. in, 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 in realistic terms. And that's kind of how they presented that. They're like, eh, you, uh, I'll go get this one, guys. So really, as a team, they are terrific. But in, this, in most situations, at, they could just sit back there, have a snack, and Adam Warlock could just go dominate everybody. Um, so that part might be interesting in, in terms of what it's going to look like going forward or in the future. Um, but you're right. When we were discussing, I, I asked you, like, is that the Quasar character? And you're like, well, that's the name. That's the name. And the the Phylavel. And then we're like, well, I, I, I said, where did she come from? And that's the mystery of that character and that plot point in this movie is she was one of the many kids that were right. trapped, but there was no development at all. None. Like she had powers. Where did those come from? Well, high evolutionary programmed them into her. Really? Yeah, that's uh, that's weak. Yeah. So it's just all of a sudden, hey, this kid's there and has got some type of powers. <laughs> okay, but um, and, that, and the the other part of that is is Phylavel. Part of the interesting thing about that character is in a relationship with Moondragon in the comics. It's uh, one of the one of the more um, about said prevalent uh, one of the more uh, visible uh, female female relationships. Well, yeah, that would be great, but you got to have Moondragon. Moondragon is Drax's daughter in the comics, so. You've already kind of written that wrong in the MCU. So if you're going to bring this character in, you've got, you've got to bring that other character in. But how are you going to bring that character in? You already messed it up. So what's going on? Top secretly, she never died. My, my guess is going to be that Drax misremembered. It's, and he's never that bright in the films. So I'm going to go with he thought he remembered his family and being a member of this race, and he's not. Uh, he was actually always the the person from Earth. That's an easy enough rewrite, and that when he dies and comes back is easy enough to write in, I guess. But still, kind of kind of weird. But the best part, my favorite part, the second 
post credit scene mm. where everybody is expecting like, okay, what's the hint for the next film or, or the next thing in the MCU or whatever. And it's just him having cereal with his dad. And I was kind of hoping it would be something sweet at least. I mean, if you want to do something for the next film, I was going to be fine. But feeling the palpable disappointment in the movie theater with <laughs> that was actually so much fun. It doesn't always have to be the next big thing, guys. I know you're trained for that, but just appreciate what it is. It, it's good. Trust me. The the headline that you saw on there, if you didn't watch the Christmas special, had everything to do with the Christmas special. Yeah. And really, the Christmas special is a 20-minute setup for this movie. Yeah. And worthwhile. I, I mean, it, it's a great Christmas special anyway. That's but, fun. Uh, worth watching if you if you're wondering. So, if you didn't watch that when you went into this movie, you're like, oh, well they they have nowhere, and it's kind of fixed up and looks like shops and like oh they've been they've been busy. How did that happen? And that was kind of you know established in that Christmas special. Yeah, I, I remember seeing an article talking about somebody that had not seen that. And felt like that they were kind of confused or somewhat cheated because there's homework now to watch these films. Yeah, that it's comic books, man. This is actually what it was always intended to be. They're all interconnected to a certain extent. You got to keep up. I mean, it's not going to be for everybody necessarily, but it, it's that's the good part it's continuing story it's not just a one-off that you can ignore later i mean i guess you could but why would you want to there's there's so much content now that i i know what i get it there's going to be three shows a year maybe four there's going to be a special there's so much investment in in this but you know what this stuff's been on for 10 years there's already an investment right so maybe you got to dig a little bit deeper and if they make the good stuff then it makes that investment a little bit more you know palatable it makes it richer is what it does um but out of 20 um it was a good story great beats not perfect a, a few hits uh, or should say a few misses but mostly hits uh i gotta go with a 16 out of 20 on that hmm I think I delivered a 14. You did yes. indeed. Uh, I think I think for us, usually the plot point is where we do more nitpicking, but sometimes there's just gigantic nonsense, right? Oh, yeah. um, you mentioned the space rescue with the pristine, the, Christ, uh, the, the, the touch. The touch. And why didn't he have his Star-Lord mask? Yeah. He's missing some equipment here and there. Yeah. So uh, that that was the first question I, that I had. Is like, why didn't he have those? I, I mean, the whole there's always little bits of sequence that are out of place. But as a whole, as a whole, I think I think the story was fine. Like I said, there was a MacGuffin, mm -hmm. um, the the magical code to save their friend, right? Um, they tied up loose ends. Uh, where did these people come from? How were they made? In a cheesy way, which was fine, but yeah. whatever. Well, there's going to be a little cheese. There's no way around it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that brings us to our final scores. Richard with an 81 and myself with an 84. You gave it a, a B minus, and I gave it a solid B. I think those are very good scores, and... As far as a lot of the movies that have been things Marvel-wise that have been out recently, that's probably one of the better ones for sure. And I'm hoping for more better, because I'm going to say more better, or mm -hmm. better -er, um wrong English, <laughs> for future endeavors of what Marvel decides to show for us. I think so. Uh, stay tuned with us next week, folks. Uh, we've got a fun interview coming up, I do believe. Um, we always have some really nice actors and, 
and producers and directors and dancers. And we love to share those talks with those people. We're probably going to do one of those. If not, uh, we'll come up with something else fun. But we love having you with us. This is the first episode of the sixth season. Sixth season, people. We've been doing this a little while, and we love having you listen. Until next time. <laughs>